Good morning, all. Our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 12, reading verses 1 to 24. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarrelling with, with the people of Tyre and Sidon, they now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. This is the word of the Lord. 
Morning, everybody. Morning to those at home. Thank you for joining us. As you have been reminded, we are in this series on 21 days of prayer, and we continue that this morning and uh, are keen to invite you to come. Pastor Charlie, just two questions for you. Uh, number one, are we a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church? And does the Bible say or not say to greet one another with a holy kiss? <laughs> But because of COVID, I have to wait. <laughs> Be thankful for small mercies, Mr. Rigby. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, that we can be together. We ask, Lord, that you would show us something relevant for us, for each of our lives, in our relationships, and especially in our walk and relationship with you. Lord, speak to us this morning and teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. interceding in prayer is what we're doing this morning and that rather remarkable story which has some humorous bits in it, Acts chapter 12. Interceding in prayer. Last week we spoke about awakening to prayer or in prayer and we spoke about three truths. Prayer is the means in order to establish God's rule in our region. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second point is prayer is a personal surrender of us to God and to what God is wanting to do in our lives and in our world. And finally, we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, which is prayer as our protection against the evil one in our world. In this passage, just to go quickly through the beginning of it to get to the key verse, which I think is the key verse, was it about this time <clears throat> that is following, there's already been a persecution, the church had been scattered and people were helping one another and then into this chapter, it was about this time that Herod, this is the grandson of Herod the Great, the guy who killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem, this is his grandson and he'd been to Rome once or twice in his life, in his career and wherever he was, when he was in Rome, he did as the Romans wanted him to do, he got into debt and he ran up creditors and all sorts of things, he returned to Palestine where he gets appointed to be the king um, <clears throat> or the ruler. And while he was in Israel, just like in Rome, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, so when he was in Israel, <clears throat> he did what the Jews did. He tried to ingratiate himself to whatever people he was around at the time. And so even in this instance, this Herod uh, <clears throat> arrested somebody, some of the people who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them because he wants to curry favour with the Jews. That's what's motivating him. So he had James the brother of John, arrested and killed with a sword because that was the law in those days. If you were an apostate or if you were a traitor to the Jewish religion, you were killed with the sword and that's what happened to James, which is a bit of a shock. And then verse 3, it says that Herod was so pleased with the approval of the Jews from this, he thought, oh, this is good, it's getting me in favour. And so he proceeded to arrest another person. This time it was Peter, who likewise happened to be in Jerusalem at this time. It must have been... Uh, either just before or just on Passover and Passover goes for eight days. There is the Passover day and the meal, which is what we know about and celebrate it through the Lord's Supper and then that's preceded by seven, uh, it's followed by seven days of unleavened bread, uh, which is the festival. There are three of these festivals throughout the Jewish year and this is one of them. Peter is arrested and it's, the Jews wouldn't like you to kill somebody during Passover if you remember the story about Jesus. And so Peter is arrested, put in jail, and he's in there for eight days and eight nights. 
After arresting him, he put him in prison. Now, Peter had been in prison before, chapter 4 and chapter 5. And on two of those occasions, he got out. So Herod's not taking any risks this time. He puts him in prison with four squads of four soldiers, 16 soldiers. And as you'll see in verse 6, or coming up soon, it'll... Ooh. Did I do that? It's now going backwards. Four squads of soldiers. Four squads of four soldiers. Each. You look after it, Mark. <clears throat> I'll try and direct you where we need to be. Did you do that? Yeah, he did it. <clears throat> Two soldiers. Uh, normally, when you're put in prison, this is maximum security. Uh, one, you would be chained by your right wrist to the left wrist of one soldier. Peter has both wrists chained. Plus, there are two other guards who are at the door of the cell. And then there are two other sentries going out, plus the nine gate. He's in inner prison. He's in maximum security. It's going to be impossible for him to get out. That's the point that we need to get. And please notice this. It's He's in prison for all eight days and it's not until the night before that Herod was going to bring him out for a trial that God intervenes. Before we go any further, let me make these couple of comments. Peter is going to be rescued from prison, but James wasn't. He was executed. It's part of God's mysterious providence in our world. God is sovereign and almighty and it's not always his will to deliver us from sickness or tragedy, cancer or death. Not always. Um, why? Well, to teach us to rely on him, and the fact is we live in a fallen world and we have to depart this world in some way, shape or form. There are, of course, those people who go around teaching and preaching that it's always God's will to cure, cure us and to heal us and to have us to be healthy and wealthy and strong and... That's false teaching. The people who teach that are teaching falsehood. God doesn't love us any less when he allows tragedy into our lives. It is a fallen world, as I said, stuff happens. And God doesn't always give us an explanation of why these things happened. He asks us to trust him in it. Another thing we learn from this, if God allows James to be killed but he's going to rescue Peter, it teaches us no one is indispensable in God's work. It's God's going to work his purposes out and his plan for each of our, our lives. When God does allow something like this and we don't understand it, well then ask him. And if he reveals the reason, great. But if he doesn't, trust him. Trust that he is in control. Continue to obey him and submit to him. This story certainly teaches us that since God is almighty, he can also easily deliver us from humanly impossible situations. Both are true. And it's part of the mystery of God's providence of working things out and us simply submitting to it. Well, Herod's not taking any um, precautions. He's got him really chained up. And I want you to notice that it's just simply the night before. God often does that, doesn't he? Church is gathering together, church is praying. God could have delivered him on the first night, didn't Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh eighth night then God delivers him why 
Well, you'll read in the passage a reason that Peter comes to realise of what God was teaching him, but he was also teaching the church that we are to continue to wait on him and sometimes God delays his answer, I think, in order to draw us into a close relationship with him. God is more concerned about us being close to him and relating to him, him as our Heavenly Father, whom we know through Jesus, than he is about making us happy and fixing things up. One day he's going to change this world completely, new heavens and a new earth. He's working his purposes out and the number one priority is that he wants to have a relationship with us. The other thing I want you to notice in verse 6 is what is Peter doing? Sleeping. He's on death row. It's the night before his trial and potential execution and he is sleeping. Of course, Peter didn't have any trouble with insomnia. He was sleeping before when he was in the garden when he should have been praying. But I think there's something else here. Peter is sleeping because he's calm. He's not anxious. He's not fretful. Why? Well, this Peter writes later on in life, in when his letter, 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He was actually practising that. But there's something else. Peter had a promise. Jesus gave him a promise. In John chapter 21, Jesus says to him, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, go wherever you wanted. But when you are old, when you are old, he's not old yet. This is within the first 12 years. Herod will die in 44 BC, AD. And uh, so it's before that, about 40. So this is about six, eight years after the church has started. So Peter's not old. And it's quite possible that he took Jesus very seriously, at, at Jesus' promise, and they just brought him peace. Jesus said, I was going to live till I was old age. I'm not old. I don't know what God's going to do, but he's going to work it out. Peter was sleeping, sleeping deeply. Sauron logs sleeping. Between two soldiers, two chains, and two sentries were at the entrance. Let's go to the next slide, huh? Here is the key verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. There are four things for us to learn from this one verse. The church praying earnestly to God for him. Number one, the church. The church gathered to pray, not just individually. I'm sure they were doing it personally as well, but it's the church gathering, the church coming together. It speaks about being united in prayer. Um, it's what Jesus says, isn't it? About if two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Jesus, God loves for us to talk to him in prayer, but he also likes us to do that as a family together. Hence, 21 days of prayer, and particularly the 19th of June, this coming together for prayer, to pray together. I can't explain it, but I think it's true that when we enlist others to pray with us, that sort of like turbocharges our prayers when we pray in unity with one another, when we agree in prayer, whether it's prayer triplets or phoning a friend or just enlisting others. The church together, praying earnestly. The word earnestly quite literally means stretched outwardly. Next slide, yep, and next slide. In different parts of the Bible, this is the word, it's the same Greek word, same original word, but that's how it's translated. Constantly, agonisingly, strivingly, heartfelt, fervently. 
The idea is these guys are really concerned about Peter and their concern is demonstrated in their praying. They're not indifferent. They're moved to pray for Peter. We're not told exactly what they were praying, but they were praying earnestly. This is the same word which is used, next slide please, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, when Jesus was in anguish and he prays earnestly and he actually sweated drops of blood. It's the same word in Romans 15 verse 30, the Apostle Paul says, please join me in my struggle, um, strive with me in prayer, same word, and Colossians 4.12, Epaphroditus, wrestling in prayer. That's the idea, it's not just saying a prayer. It's engaging the heart in prayer and pouring your heart out and asking God passionately with feeling, heartfelt. John Bunyan said, let your prayers be without words rather than let your prayers be without heart. If you're going to pray, mean it. Don't just say the words. Now, please don't. This church was gathering together and they were praying fervently, earnestly, uh, passionately together for him. And they're praying to God. Isn't all prayer to God? No. I don't mean prayers to false gods and idols. I don't think Luke is talking about that. It's not what I mean either. Nor is it uh, as some parts of the Christian church pray to saints. No, not talking about that either. The reality is that not all prayer is uttered to God. Sometimes prayer is uttered to an audience, not God. We pray because we want to impress people or we pray because we like the sound of our voice. Or Remember the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to the temple to pray? And Luke tells us actually the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, and the translations vary a little bit, prayed with himself, prayed about himself, prayed to himself. He was bragging and performing in prayer. This church wasn't doing it. They were praying to God. They were focused. They were addressing God. They weren't thinking about the audience and what people are going to think about how they prayed. They were thinking about God and what they wanted to say to him. And like I said, we're not told exactly what they did, but they're praying for Peter. The church gathered together, earnestly praying to God for him. And it's specific. Not a general prayer, it's a specific prayer. What do you reckon they prayed? Lord, keep him strong. Lord, help him to be faithful, be a strong witness as he goes to the trial tomorrow. Do you reckon they prayed, Lord, save him, get him out of jail? Most commentators seem to think that's what they were praying. Like I said, what I actually told. We're in for a surprise. Next slide. Here is the summary of what I just said. It's the church gathering together in unity, praying earnestly, with feeling, to God. What is the hymn? Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with you bring. What's the next bit? For his love and power as such, for his grace and power as such, none can ever ask too much. When you pray to God, you're praying to the king of the universe. He can do anything. Talk to him. Ask him submit to him and be specific the more specific you are then the more clearly you will see the answers that god will give you there's a pastor in korea i think he's still alive i'm not sure i haven't heard about him for years paul yongi cho is now called david yongi cho you've probably heard of him he's a pentecostal pastor 
huge church, different culture. But one of the things he does teach on and practice is prayer. And he tells part of his own story is of God taking him on this journey of teaching him about prayer. I certainly don't endorse, you know, all of his teaching and ministry. Don't take that away. But in his testimony, he talks about when he was a young Christian, he was asking God that he wanted a bicycle because in Korea and after the war and they didn't have much money and he wanted to travel around to visit people uh, in the church that he was starting and and God came back to him and actually said to him what sort of bicycle do you want be specific and he said well I want one of those blue ones one of those something they described it and that's what he got then he asked God for an office chair so he could sit at his desk and write his sermons. What sort of a chair do you want? So he was very specific. I want a big one, I want it this colour and I want that. And that's what he got. It was God teaching him. When you talk to me, be specific. And the more specific you are, that actually helps you focus and clarify what you're asking. Not just generally. And I would encourage us to do the same. It'll mean our prayers will be shorter. And easily discerned when they're answered. Next slide. So this is the eighth night, the day before the trial, and then suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and a light shone in the cell. It's night, it's the middle of the night, it's dark, Peter's chained up to two soldiers, there are two soldiers at the door, there are two other sentries going out and there's an iron gate. And suddenly in the middle of this maximum security prison there is an angel and a bright light. Um... And the angel wakes Peter up, eventually. This is how I imagine it happening. I flash back to my daughter who, when she went to sleep, she went to sleep. And she always struggled to get up early in the morning. She doesn't now. She's got two kids. She's awake at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Payback. <laughs> An angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone on his hand. He struck Peter. He struck Peter bright light, psst, Peter, wake up. Peeps him, Peter, wake up. Bang, Peter, wake up. <coughs> he was deep sleep. With my daughter, I discovered shaking her, throwing water, I did that in her face, all sorts of things to try and wake her, never got her up. You know what the secret is? And I need to, the angels listening, so he'll know this for future miracles. Hold their nose. They wake up. <gasps> Worked every time for her. He struck Peter on the side. Wake up. He's awake, but you know when you're awake and you're not awake? You're sort of groggy, half awake sort of thing and not fully aware of where you are. And so the angel proceeds to tell Peter, get up, hurry up, get up. The guards are asleep. I'm sure the angel's not wanting to wake them up. There's... Um, Chains fall from Peter's wrists, miraculously. Uh, then the angel says to him, put on your clothes, get your sandals, put on your sandals, put on your robe, wrap it around you. <gasps> he's asleep, he's half asleep. And so the angel's given him instructions of dress yourself and follow me. And Peter does, in a daze. In fact, the scripture goes on to say, next verse, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing or if it was really happening. He thought it was a dream, a vision. It's not real. I'm dreaming this. They passed out through the first century. They went through the door, past the first century, past the second century, and then they get to the iron gate. 
And they go, we're used to this in our world. You walk towards Coles or McDonald's and it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> we should get one of those for the church, shouldn't we? <laughs> so this iron gate locked opens by itself automatically. Boom, boom. This is definitely a dream as far as Pete's concerned. And then he gets outside, they go out onto the street, they walk one length of one street away and with no further instructions, the angel disappears. Next verse. Peter comes to his senses, it says. And this is one of the things why he was in for eight days. Now I know that God sent his angel, delivered me from the hands of Herod and from all the things that the Jews were planning. The reason God delayed the answer is he was teaching Peter. I'm in control. Trust me. I'm not finished with you yet. I'm going to use you for something else. Peter learned through it and so the church is also going to learn something. Next verse. I forgot to tell you this. Uh, Charles Wesley reflected probably on this story, but uses it to describe a salvation experience. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, followed thee. It's a great hymn, isn't it? Sort of fits with this story as well. Next slide. That's it. What God does in our life. He brings us out of prison, out of darkness, out of our sinful habits and he transforms us, leads us forward. When this had dawned on him, the angel's gone. He's now outside the prison. He's at the end of a street. He's by himself and with no instructions of where to go. He concludes, decides, puts two and two together. I bet the church is gathering together and praying. Maybe a message had come to him, not told. And he decides he'll go to the house of Mary, the mother of Mark, John Mark. Mary probably lived in one of those uh, very large estates in the city of Jerusalem, just like in all cities, there are some very wealthy properties and that's probably one of where this one was, probably where the Passover was held, in the upper room with Jesus. We don't know any of that, that's just my imagination. Um, but it does say, and many people had gathered together and they were praying, gathering together which is what we want to do on June 19th and each week. Peter gets to the house and he knocks. And he not only knocks, he speaks. You've been in a prayer meeting and you haven't been interrupted, phone rings or something. You keep praying and you're waiting for somebody to go answer it, aren't you? Who's going to do that? We keep praying. So here they are, they're praying something perhaps like this. Um, Lord, could you please release Peter? Could you look after him? Hello. It's night. He's out in the street. He may think the Romans are searching for him. He doesn't know. So he doesn't want to make too much noise. Church is inside praying. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you'll move and you'll act, Lord, that you do a miracle. Mary, who owns the house, probably gets Rhoda's eye. Rhoda. Not Rhonda. <laughs> Rhoda. Very clear instructions. Rhoda. Don't say Rhonda. Have you read um, the notes for today? The sermon? Jason calls her Rhonda. <laughs> Leader of the Baptist movement gets it wrong. Anyway. <laughs> Peter knocking on the outside of the door. Mary gets Rhoda's uh, eye, says, Go answer that. Go see who that is. She gets to the door. 
knock, 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 and he's obviously saying something. I'm not sure what, because she recognises his voice. She's probably a younger girl, a younger lady. And just with sheer excitement that it's Peter, she forgets to open the door, and she just runs back into the prayer meeting. They're still praying, heads down, eyes closed. Lord, please do something with Peter. Release him, save him, make him strong, help him be a good witness. He's at the door. Shh, we're praying. (laughs) Praying, praying, praying. And then she said, he's at the door. He's not at the door. You're out of your mind. Lord, in your name, we ask that this will happen. (laughs) He's at the door. Well, it must be his angel. Back at that time, some of the Jews believed that we have guardian angels. Some of them may have thought... The angel is Peter's guardian angel, which would be weird, wouldn't it? If you're dead, why would your guardian angel go to a church and knock on the door? Why didn't the angel just go in? Anyway, or they probably thought this, that when you died, you could have become an angel or the angels attended you. And so the angel was there to indicate that Peter has passed away. Oh, he's dead. So there's a dialogue backwards and forwards. If you read the passage very carefully, it says, she insists that he's at the door and they kept denying it. There's a dialogue going backwards and forwards on this until somebody, we don't know who, went to the door, opened the outer gate and there and behold, it's Peter and they were astonished. Were they praying in faith? Obviously not. Something to learn. You know and I know, the Bible, Jesus talks about, if you have faith, you can do this and you can do that. When you don't know God's will, can you pray in faith? The answer is no. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing him and trusting what he said, what he promises. You can pray in hope, you can pray and submit, but you can't pray in faith in terms of I'm trusting Lord that you will do what you said because God hasn't said anything anyway we can talk about that later if you want to there are people who certainly name it and claim it and if you have faith you can move mountains and if you have faith you can do this and if you have faith you can do that you need to look at those passages very very carefully Uh, God doesn't write us blank checks and say just ask whatever you wish John 15, 7 is a great verse. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. What? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you're abiding in him and obedient to him, then you can ask whatever you wish. Submissively. Because you're in submission to him. Anyway, moving on. Peter kept on knocking. They come to the door. They open it. They go inside. Verse 17. Peter motions with his hands for them to be quiet. Obviously, there's quite a ruckus going on there. And he indicates to them the story of what the angel had done, what God had done. Interestingly, he says, go and tell James. That's the half-brother of Jesus. Not the James at the beginning of the story who died. James is clearly the emerging church leader in the city of Jerusalem. And Peter is about to leave. And tell the other brothers and sisters, and not everybody was there. They may have been there and gone home because it's the middle of the night. Most people would be asleep. But this group, who had gathered together, were praying fervently into the night, an all-night prayer meeting. 
And so he does that and he leaves for another place. Notice this, verses 18 and 19. When God moves and answers our prayers, there are consequences, not just in our lives, but in other people's lives. Peter was the one who was supposed to get executed, but read this. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers. That's Luke's way of saying, there was turmoil. No small commotion. There's a lot of commotion. What's going on? There's a lot of suspicion. Search was made for Peter. He wasn't found. So the next thing is you search, you investigate, you cross-examine the guards. One of you guys let him out. That's the only explanation. They, of course, all denied it, and, but the result is they get executed, all of them. They get executed because God performed a miracle and got Peter out of jail. When God answers our prayers, there are consequences that we may not know about. And sometimes that's why God will say no to us in our prayers because we don't realise the consequences of what's happening or the timing of it or something else. It comes back to the mystery of God's providence. He's the one who is in control and he's working his purposes out. And Lord, as far as I know, this is what I would like to happen. But not my will, your will be done. You're in control and you see the whole picture. Next slide. So, will you gather together to pray like the church did then? Will you come on the 19th? Will you come to prayer meetings? Start some prayer meetings? God wants us to be a praying church. Will you be pray- what are you praying earnestly for? What moves your heart? What are you keen for God to do? in your life or for you or for other other loved ones in your life are you being specific write it down date it then you'll be absolutely amazed how god does answer our prayers in all circumstances wait on him trust in him submit to him obey him you know that continue to do it next slide let me finish with this Because we were going through 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When you look at Acts chapter 12, it falls into three parts. The first part, church gathering together to pray. Sorry, the Lord watching over what happens to his righteous ones, to, uh, to James, to Peter, and so on. Second part, His ears were attentive to their prayer. The Lord was listening to the prayer and he sent the angel. The third part is a paragraph that Coralie read for us, but I'm not talking about, is where Herod uh, ends up losing his life. And the Lord's face is against those who do evil. I just thought that would be helpful for you. 1 Peter 3.12 is the outline for this whole chapter as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You're the sovereign one. You're not limited to our prayers, but you work through them. Lord, teach us to cooperate with you and to rely on you. We know, Lord, that you can do far more than we ask or even imagine. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who pray unitedly, earnestly, specifically, and Lord, that all of our prayers are directed to you not for the approval or the performance of others, but to you, for your honour and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.